Greetings, welcome aboard the Diecast Enterprise. This is Pags. Hopefully. This week's episode was Where No One Has Gone Before. Not to be confused with Where No Man Has Gone Before, which was an episode of the original series. I guess this sort of plays on a lot of the same, some of the same ideas. I guess in that episode, in the original series, they go out to the edge of the known galaxy? Or do they go to the center of the galaxy? The center of the galaxy is Star Trek V. Star Trek V. All right, sorry. What does God need? The starship. I don't know. No, in that episode, where no one has gone before, doesn't really care much about where they're going. They go through the galactic barrier or whatever. Oh, that's what it is, right. Out into open space, and it changes one of the crewmen, but there's no worry about how they're going to get back after. Right. It's not the point of the episode. The point of the episode is the dude who gets the mirrored eyeballs. Um, Anyways, that's, that's not here. That's there. not this episode. That's not this episode. We're talking about where no one has gone before, which yeah. is the first appearance of the Traveler. Yeah, this one has a real like Star Trekky feel to it. I guess it's sort of really kind of funny. I guess the kind of things you like really like in Star Trek. Yeah. There's some you know, some unknown I would, exploration. I would say this is um, yeah, yeah. This is sure. the best episode for so sure. far. It also features some of Chris Kattan's best acting. <laughs> to explain that reference, the character Kaczynski who comes aboard to quote unquote tune the warp engines of yeah, he's the a, Enterprise. He's a Starfleet he, propulsion expert. Who, he is a pretty decent doppelganger for Chris Kattan. He's a real prick, basically. This guy acts as a real pompous, arrogant guy. Like, yeah. He really thinks he knows all this stuff. But right from the start, we're given the impression that the crew don't believe that he really knows what he's doing. The Sort of the science that he sends ahead of in advance. All the schematics about things he's intending to do to the engines. It's gobbledygook. Yeah. So everyone kind of thinks that he's a fraud before he even shows up. And then he shows up and he's just a total douche nozzle. Like, he He's supremely self-confident and so arrogant. Like it's impressive yeah. the acting involved here because and if if you hadn't formed your own opinion about this guy, Troy will then tell you what you're supposed to think. Oh yeah, almost immediately. Yeah. So his intention is, I guess, to run some experiments on the ship to make it go faster. I think he's supposed to be increasing engine efficiency. He's coming in there to quote unquote fine tune the engine, but he brings along his mysterious assistant from Tau Alpha C, which is very far away according to Riker. But because we're not talking about Kaczynski, Kaczynski puts the kibosh on that line of questioning immediately and then strides off because he knows his way through a starship. Interestingly enough, a line also delivered by Captain Kirk in the motionless picture. He knows his way around the starship and then he gets lost immediately. The motion picture, which you've watched twice now in the span of a week? Uh, pretty much. Because we watched it after episode three. I don't ever want to watch it again. <laughs> and then I watched it again last night with Anthony and Jill. Once again, with the riff track, which is the only way to watch it still painful. It is still painful. It's a rough go. I guess this episode, actually, I really enjoyed this one. There's a lot of good stuff going on. Wesley has maybe his best sweater to date. Ooh, this sweater was serious. I've never seen a sweater that lives up to this one. Like, it's this, <laughs> this kind of salmon affair with... Uh, yeah, it, it's got sort of like... Like a V kind of stitching happening up top, but then it turns then into... Then it turns a, into ruffles below. <laughs> yeah, like a pirate king, a salmon pirate king, and... It's like two sweaters in one in a lot of ways. It's... A, it's amazing and it's no wonder then that he catches the eye of the, tra of the traveler who is wearing <laughs> yes. his own interesting ropey kind of thing that's the first thing that first sweater game formed yeah game knows game you know the two of them recognize word but yeah the traveler almost immediately seems to take a shine to wesley if wesley wasn't a 14 year old boy and the traveler a grown man you would describe the relationship as borderline romantic there's tension there and yeah. it's unsettling it's fine it's all wholesome but 
right away we see uh, you know Chris Kattan's over at the uh, the engineering control station doing his thing, basically spouting some BS about what he's about to do to the ship. And the travelers over in the other corner with Wesley, kind of like right away, even the travelers get kind of laughing at like Kaczynski. Like Wesley asks him, "Is like is Kaczynski how he sounds a joke?" And the travelers like, "No, it's too cruel." <laughs> It'd be too cruel to call him that. What a diss. But it's not too cruel. Kaczynski deserves all of that. Basically, the Traveler is a being who's able to manipulate time, space, and thought. And um, more or less, he's sort of... He's kind of stowed along for the ride with Kaczynski. Cause yeah, he's just... He's bartering his skills, basically, for travel around the galaxy to experience our reality, as, as he puts it. Well, what does he need with a starship? It's not clear. <laughs> why can't he just travel? Like, I don't know why he needs to be in a spaceship to do this. But I'm not really sure. Whatever. Maybe better for Maybe he can't generate a warp field on his own. Maybe he just wanted to hang out with the... Uh, the redhead it's true because the redhead is all over this episode yeah. like she's in the background in most of the shots in engineering yeah it, it's not really much of a where's waldo game this time because no. it, she's everywhere she's everywhere yeah like in every scene always in the background although she's not the only one wearing the uh the, the short, short skirt the short skirt there's a great shot the cameo by john cho in a short skirt disclaimer it's not john cho because it might he was be. a child at it might point. be you don't know that well, okay well, let's do that looks like john cho's got like a whole benjamin button thing happening he's aging in reverse so he was much older in the 80s than he is now. Yeah. Maybe he's a lot older than we think. Maybe he's actually like 75. Well, anyway, not surprisingly, Kaczynski's experiment immediately results in them being propelled millions of light years, thousands of light years. They pass through two galaxies oh, yeah, that's right, and yeah. wind up on the far side of a third. Yeah, whoops. And they're like, womp, 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 womp. And Kaczynski, to cover up his total uh, ass up, just tries to act super jazzed about the whole thing. He's like, oh man, I'm even more awesome than I thought I was. Look at where we are. Yeah, plays it off like oh. plays it off like most graduates research assistants ever do for anything. I made a brilliant mistake. Yeah. Everybody praise me, please. It was so good. So Picard and the crew are like suitably pissed. They're like, okay, well, we're just gonna do what we did before and that'll get us back home. They seem to think that this is a reasonable plan that, you know, what could yeah. go wrong. They don't take the, the opportunity to do any like science or exploration yeah. while they're out there too. They, they do figure, discuss it. Yeah, they figure if they can recreate this, then they'll be able to send back a proper science vessel. Just leave a goddamn probe behind. What's the big deal? But they don't. Listen, sun probes are expensive. Can they just make more? Like, no, like the vaccine, you can't replicate probes. Why can't you replicate probes? <laughs> you totally can. Don't worry, everybody. We're not going to get into replicators this episode. Right, I think we should. No. Nope. Fine. All right. No. So they don't leave a probe behind. This time, they travel a few billion light years. To a place where thought and reality Is and space and time are all the same thing, and it, there are bubbles. It's sort of like, yeah, there's like soap bubbles out there. Bubbles! On the view screen. Is the implication supposed to be that they're at the, they're at the edge of the universe? I don't know. I was unclear on that. What I took away from it was that they had somehow yeah. broken the reality barrier and that they were now in like this kind of extra dimensional think, space. Are they, where, are they in fluidic space, maybe? I don't know what that is. <laughs> oh, that's I'm watching that Voyager. No. I Forget not. I said that. <laughs> but we could watch No, more. I know how much you enjoy Forget Voyager. Forget I said anything about that. It's safe to say they're where no one has gone before. Um, it seems like the thoughts of the crew can manifest themselves into reality. So, oh yeah, the first thing, of course, is uh, Worf, you know, in an idle moment, starts thinking about his pet Targ, which is like a sort of like a dire wild boar. It's like a, it's, it's a boar with like some spikes coming out of it. It kind of looks like a warthog. Pretty awesome pet. He's like, this was my pet. Yeah, damn right. And, you know, I love Worf's parents. 
parents, his human parents. I do. They're great people. It's hard for me to envision them having this animal in Why? their home. Why? Why? His mom doesn't seem like the kind of person who would put up with didn't a we wild. Did we know that like, well, like Worf, Worf grew up on like the moon or Mars? Didn't he? Like they I didn't live know. on Earth. They lived in a colony Did off they? Earth. Whatever. They just get a targ. It's not a big deal. People have pet pigs. Well, City slicker. They do. I guess, but you know. Wouldn't you like to have a pet warthog? No. Who wouldn't. Why not? Anyways. It's totally fine. <laughs> if you say so. I don't, know. I don't know why you don't like Worf's pet. But anyway. Yeah, it's not that I don't like it. I just, I have trouble believing that his parents would have allowed such an animal in the house. Well, maybe they, maybe, had, maybe an, they had a farm. Maybe it was an outdoor warthog. Yeah, this must have been hard to come by. Why? It's just replicated. You can't replicate live animals. <laughs> Whatever. I think we can. <laughs> fine, fine. Okay. This is a common house pet on the Klingon homeworld. <laughs> Obviously, there's ample trade between Klingon planets and Earth planets. They probably got Worf's mother cool stuff from the Klingon homeworld like make him feel more at home when he was mm. a kid they're adoptive parents they want to yeah. do right by their Klingon boy Why, yeah, yeah. they could get him a pet targ no problem okay okay so yeah and then immediately after that Tasha then shit gets cray yeah yeah things kind of go off the rail pretty quickly Tasha flashes back to the planet she used to live on where she's being chased by uh, trigger warning a rape gang Wow, Next Gen is really cavalier about tossing around rape gangs I in think season all, one. It's only Tasha's home planet. It just yeah, seems yeah. to be all that goes on there. I know, but like this is technically the sixth episode of Next Gen, and we've already heard about rape gangs, like, what, three times? I guess they never really decided what else. It's the only thing we ever, the only real insight we really get into Tasha's planet is that it's a pretty Yeah, nasty like that place. seems to be like their predominant economy is rape gangs, you know? Like, yeah. like that's the career path on Tasha's planet. I think later in later seasons we get a little more like when Ishara shows up we get a little more insight yeah. into what goes on there but it just seems like a bad place. Yeah, it really does. And yeah, yeah for me it's kind of surprising how cavalier Next Gen is about just tossing around the term rape gang. Like, oh, you said that again. Good. Well, you know, like, I mean, this was a show that, you know, children were watching. I know because I was one. I heard the term rape gang more when I was eight years old than I would what? expect someone who was eight years old to hear the term rape gang. What do you want? You want them to sugarcoat it? Yes. Or maybe just not talk about it? That's the thing. That's what was going on on her planet, and that's what she wants to tell people about it, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, she uh, she brings it up a lot, and then Jordy snaps her out of that, because, like I've mentioned before, Jordy's totally digging Tasha Yar. Sure. So, like, he just happened to be up there away from his con station to, uh... Well, he saw the warthog. He was like, oh, check out the warthog. And then, then the warthog disappeared. Because, like, any red-blooded male, he, he saw a warthog. He's like, oh, that's awesome. Anyway, we then get, like, sporadic scenes around the ship of just the, the yeah. craziness that's going yeah, on. Yeah, Picard tries to step out of a turbo lift, but it turns out it's a door into space. We see an ensign who's doing a ballet recital in the in the shuttle bay. Yeah, and a guy who's uh, playing in, playing like, Mozart a string quartet. The, in a cafeteria. Yeah, yeah. Really lonely scene, by the way. He's in there all alone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, the fantasy ends and he's just alone and nobody's there. He's like... That looked like a canteen, though, not necessarily his quarters. Yeah, yeah, so... There was seating for, like, seven, but Yeah, it was a little depressing, actually. Like, it kind of felt bad for the guy. It's like, this is what his life is, you know? He's gone to the canteen. He's on his lunch break or something. And he's fantasizing about being in a string quartet because he's just so massively lonely that he's got nothing else. It'd be 
works at those worst quarters. He's got all that seating for all those people and no friends to sit in the chairs. Uh, that is sad. So then Picard sees his mother in the hallway. Yeah, like when I was a kid, I always assumed it was his grandmother because she was quite old. Well, he calls her mom. Yeah, he does. Maybe she was just a really, really elderly lady. Maybe she had Picard very, she has a much more convin- very late in life. She has a much more convincing French accent than Picard does. What are you talking about? You don't like Patrick Stewart's French accent? Oh, yeah, yeah. His French accent totally rules. To be fair, it is a 24th century French accent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and French was like an obscure, archaic language. That According to data, anyway. According right? to data. Yeah. Forever be my favorite line. Yeah, um... Picard has a has a chat with his mom, who seems to know the nature of this place, but then Riker interrupts, and the, the bubble pops, basically, so She's Picard gone. doesn't get to find out the secrets of the universe from mom. Picard is pissed. He is. He's not happy with Riker for that. They more or less conclude that... The game is up. They fig- like they know that it's the Traveler now and not Kaczynski. Wesley's attempts to uh, bring this to their attention both were thwarted, and now Riker has to be all sheepish, like, oh, yeah, Wesley tried to tell oh, us. The classic. I guess, you know, another thing that kind of makes people hate Wesley. <laughs> it's like, oh, as usual, Wesley had the answers, but we ignored him because he's too annoying. But, uh, yeah, anyway, so they, they do have to go down to sick bay to, to try to revive the Traveler to get some answers out of him. And at this point, we discover that Wesley's the chosen one. In the Traveler's estimation, yeah. Wesley's like Neo. I think they compared him Better Mozart. sweater games. Better sweaters. Yeah, because they're talking about hair music. Right. Uh, so he's a child prodigy. So yeah, he's like, a, he's like a savant. Idiot savant. Yeah, I was waiting for you to make that joke. Of course. I left it for you. So yeah, the, the Traveler explains shit. Wesley's the chosen one. Don't <clears throat> tell anybody because it's a secret. Yeah, don't talk about my scary penis fingers either. <laughs> I really don't like the Traveler's hands. (laughs) The Traveler's hands are a little gross. (laughs) So anyways, they try to get home. You know, Picard tells everybody to think about the Traveler and his well-being. Oh, yeah. Imagine him as someone you care deeply about. And then... Troy. Yeah, Picard's about to say, engage, you know, let's try this out. But they have to cut to Troy for a moment to tell us again the obvious thing that, oh, there's such a feeling of well-being on the ship. Yeah, it's quite wonderful. It's quite Like, we don't need that! As you said, it's exactly why people don't like Troy. Lines yeah. like that. It's not necessary. <laughs> it's just annoying. So, the Traveler gets them back home and in doing so, phases right the hell out of existence. Yeah, he goes off to, to Parts Unknown. Parts Unknown, like Ultimate Warrior style? I assume they're from the same home planet. I could see that. So yeah, there's an obscure reference for any of you out there. Right. I like this episode a lot. I did too. I would say thus far, this is my favorite episode of season one. It's got some neat, it actually has some sci-fi elements. This is starting to feel more like next gen is going to feel. We sort of know a little bit more about the characters. Data and Jordy are still doing their their kind of shtick of season one of like passing notes to each other from the front of the class. Yeah. Like in the cons, which is kind of annoying. What? The card's not going to notice when like Data leans all all the way out of his chair to, to whisper to Jordy yeah. or whatever. Yeah, they're whispering and yucking it up. Like, ha, ha, ha. That is pretty cheesy. Again, the, I probably, due to the presence of Tasha Yar, they like, it's, I guess it's a shame Denise Crosby left the show, but at the same time, at the moment, they have like half a role for Worf and half a role for Tasha, so neither of them really do much in any episode. Yeah, Worf, he's got like... He has one, like two or three lines. Yeah, two or three <laughs> lines in this episode, and like one of them is just basically pure information. It's like, you know, Picard comes onto the bridge. They're ready to begin the test captain and that's it and like oh well anyone could have said that line other than his scene with the warthog obviously yeah like that's his that char- was his big moment that's his character scene this episode everything else is just pure exposition what would you do for rank pips for this one? Oh yeah rank pips I forgot we oh. were doing this rank pipping thing I would give this one a uh, probably a commander commander yeah that's three build 
since this is the episode where Wesley Crusher gets commissioned into oh, Starfleet, yeah, I kind of want to give it an honorary ranking of acting ensign. Oh, sure. Let's do that. But it was actually a good episode. Let's go, uh, it's a rainbow-striped sweater. Oh, yeah. The acting ensign sweater, which isn't Wait. just one of his sweaters. That's the actual uniform of acting ensigns. I didn't realize that until you told me that the other day. Oh, the things you learn. So is he going to start wearing that in the next very next he, episode? I, I don't know if it'll be in the very next episode, but when we see him on duty, he should be wearing it. Yeah, he does wear it in season one because the uh, prototype toy of Wesley Crusher is him wearing that, and that prototype toy was made during season one. As long as he'll still have off-duty casual wear, I'm sure his sweater game will continue outside of duty hours. Yes. If it weren't for that, I would give this episode a commander as well. I think it's a good solid episode for that. Do you kind of wish there had been more stuff with the Traveler? Like, he shows up, I guess, three times in the series. Yeah. Although, I only remember twice. I only remember this run, and didn't he show up in that episode where uh, Wesley's trying to save those Native Americans on that planet? That's the last one. The best one is the one in between. That's the one where Beverly Crusher gets trapped in the alternate universe, the ever-shrinking universe. Oh, he's in that episode? I Totally, yeah. I totally don't remember him being in that episode. He is. He's the one that uh, he and Wesley save her. Man, I totally blanked on that. That's a sweet one. I love that episode. Yeah, yeah, that's great. You know, the computer, when she asked the computer to define the universe. Yeah. Stuff, that was a good one. The Traveler, I don't know, I guess he's supposed to parallel a little bit of, you know, what our heroes in the Enterprise do. I mean, he's an explorer in the same mm-hmm. kind of vein. His method of traveling is different, obviously. Um, that whole idea of, you know, the, the blurring of time, yeah, space, and reality. Time, kind of space, reality and thought they're all connected yeah it's fun but uh yeah the idea that I guess that's Wesley's future his (laughs) destiny is to become a traveler which is pretty much what happens in that that other episode you're talking about yeah like Wesley leaves Starfleet at the end of that episode to go be a traveler basically yeah but he's back come nemesis that was just for the fans he comes back for the wedding doesn't he yeah for the wedding and he's in a Starfleet uniform granted that didn't make it into the movie but in all the cutscenes that he's in he's like trying to chat up ladies and stuff maybe you don't meet a lot of ladies out in uh, on the edge of the universe is that where he was spending his time out in the bubble I don't know but like I say he was in a Starfleet uniform like as a commissioned up sure yeah so what's interesting about that episode actually what nemesis no the last Wesley episode where he leaves to go traveling the last temptation of Wesley Crusher I think it's called (laughs) I can't Um, remember I haven't seen that episode in years I don't remember it but uh the interesting thing about that is, if you think about it, that episode is basically Star Trek Insurrection. Maybe? Well, yeah, think about it. I don't remember the episode, and I have never seen Insurrection. You've never seen Insurrection? I couldn't make it through it. I got to that fucking scene where they're doing Gilbert and Sullivan, and I just turned it off. <laughs> Like, that's enough. Wow. Well, I mean, one of the crazy things about it is that in Insurrection, Captain Picard is doing exactly what Captain Picard was getting angry at Wesley for doing. Wesley was trying to save these people from being transplanted off the planet by Starfleet. In that episode, Picard's all like, when you're wearing that uniform, you got to follow orders, blah, 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 blah. And then in Insurrection, he's like, no, this is wrong. I can't let this happen. It's like... This happens with the Maquis as well in Deep Space Nine and in Star and in TNG. I don't know. People go back and forth on this a lot. It's like the prime directive is just sort of what's what people feel like at the time. Basically. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I am so shocked that you haven't seen Insurrection. It's like, awful. Well, I know it's awful because I've seen it, but you haven't seen it. You've only seen like I've seen like, like half of it. Five minutes. I think I saw the ending as well, so I've never watched it all the way through. I don't know. We could do that at some point. I guess. Oh, I don't know. I'm still recovering from the motion picture. I don't think I can take Insurrection. No, the next ten movies are. You want to cover those real quick? Oh, we'll skip Insurrection. <laughs> the Star Trek the 
next generation motion pictures generations first contact insurrection and nemesis, nemesis. which is the second best one the second best one uh, as much as it pains me to say this generations is the second best next gen movie yeah i think you're right because the best next gen movie is Sorry. first contact that's not an interesting discussion no it's the only one that's watchable right so like, yeah exactly so what's and the best like of the, rest? the worst ones insurrection is god awful and nemesis is horrendous i think insurrection is the worst i wasn't able to watch it so i guess i think the problem is while insurrection is terrible part of what makes it terrible is how bland and dull and boring it is Whereas Nemesis is terrible. It's got, it's got Picard wearing those wraparound goggles, though. Yeah, but it's also got that Picard clone who's a young Picard, but for some oh, reason, also, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but for some reason, also bald because the audience is too stupid to understand that he's Picard's clone if he has hair. That's a, a young Bane. What's the guy's name? Uh, Tom Hardy? Tom Hardy, that's right, yeah. Yeah. That's him. It is him. 100 pounds earlier. I find Nemesis the worst of them all because it's not just boring, it's actively ugly and bad. The worst thing about Nemesis, by far, though, is just the retcon on Romulans. Like, there's this whole shadow race of Romulans. By by the way, (laughs) how could we forget about the Remans? Whoops. That just never came up before. You know, and how crazy is it that they're Remans? What a strange coincidence that. Romulans and Remans, independent of the story of Romulus and Remus in Earth mythology. So cheesy. Like, oh wow, huh, <laughs> crazy. So no. cheesy. The fact that that never came up before, like they didn't even address that as as to why we'd never heard of it. They just acted as if we all knew about it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Like if, they, if they'd made it so that that was a, a terrible secret of the Romulan Empire yeah, yeah. or something, could have bought that. They could have handled that so much better and they didn't bother. So that kind of wrecked it for me. Everything about Nemesis is terrible. It's pretty terrible. <laughs> it's bad. Yeah, okay, no. it's pretty bad anyway. I can't think of any redeeming qualities of Star Trek Nemesis. Uh, back to this episode just for a minute, though. Mm-hmm. I guess mm-hmm. one thing that I like that about this episode is it didn't suffer from, I guess, what I like to call the Voyager effect, which is... Oh, uh, do tell. Well, one real problem Star Trek has, the Star Trek series in general, it happens all the time. They'll discover a solution to some specific problem in an episode. They'll come up with some technology which will get them out of some jam, and then they'll never use it again. Yes, okay. Like I wouldn't technically call that okay. Voyager effect because that was a common staple of the original series. It happens on all the series. And Next Gen. It happens in Next Gen and yeah. Deep Space Nine. But, but it, we'll call it the Voyager effect because we, we hate Voyager and it happens all the fucking time in Voyager. I remember watching Voyager and the reaction I had almost all the time watching Voyager Nausea? was something would happen in Voyager, Torres would say something, yeah. and my reaction would always be, Jordy could do it. Yeah, every time, every that. time. Oh, this is happening. Jordy could do it. I thought you were going to say you watched an episode of Voyager and then it hurt to pee afterwards. <laughs> so, like, but the thing about this episode is, oh, here, they come up with this technique where they can travel millions of light years in the span of minutes. So it would seem like all of a sudden they'd unlock the key to exploring the entire, not just their own galaxy, yeah. but maybe the universe really quickly. But the thing is, it was all the travelers. It doing. was all the travelers. So, so they get out of jail on this one yeah. because the traveler was the key to it. They're not able to replicate it, you which know. I appreciated that, just given how much this comes up and how annoying it is. It's good. You have yeah, to deal with it, it, it happens quite often in Star Trek that they will come up with things that should change everything and then don't. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. There's so many bad instances of that happening. I'm sure we will come across them in short order. The phasing shields. Mm. Um, yeah, that other shielding technology which lets like, Crusher basically fly into the sun. Don't remember that one. Oh, yeah. 
It's coming, baby. Oh, wait, yeah. Not the one where, like, she's the patron of this Ferengi... Uh, yeah, yeah. Ferengi uh, scientist. Scientist, right, right. Totally, yeah. Crusher's yeah. hair in this episode was weird. weird. Yeah. Looked like she'd just stepped out of the shower. It was an odd choice on the hairdresser this time around. Do we know? Like, is, is Gates McFadden wearing a wig? I don't think so. Like, I think in later seasons she might be. It's possible. I mean, it's TV, right? We talked about this a little bit mm-hmm. already, but that's it's just the way it is with TV. It's much, much easier. You're there long hours every day. It's hard to maintain hairstyle. It's much easier if you just wear a wig. Yeah. Even if you're regular hair looks like that underneath. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Remember, we were talking about Troy and how oh, yeah. perhaps maybe those uh, beads and stuff in her hair interfere with her empathy. Yeah, with her telepathy. Her abilities are weird. Yeah, she couldn't get any reading off the Traveler. and All those beads were getting yeah. in the way. Jordy's still using the Afro Sheen in this season. I liked it. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, Lavar's hair does sparkle. Looks great. Pleasingly. It sparkles like the uh, yellow uniforms. Honestly, I'm really looking forward to getting out of season one and two. Really? Okay. Because yeah. you want the collar? I want the collars. I want the piping to be gone on the shoulders. Oh, yeah, okay. And I also want them to be wearing two-piece uniforms and not... The pantsuits? Not, not lycra onesies. Those, yeah, they're really not flattering for certain body types. Yeah. Like, Chris Kattan did, like, looked weird. He really could have used, like, used a belt. Also, like, there's a lot of nipple pokage happening in the first two seasons, <laughs> which uh, won't be a problem once they switch over to the new style uniforms, which are clearly, like, fabric and not lycra. Nobody's going cycling in these uniforms. I never thought about that. That would be really problematic if you're wearing a Lycra onesie on an away mission and it tears. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's just going to fall apart. My understanding was that the uh, outfits were really uncomfortable and like gave them back problems too. Back problems? Yeah, yeah. I guess like... Oh, they're like so, pulling at your shoulders yeah, or whatever? Yeah, so tight and everything. Yeah, constantly pulling down on your shoulders. And... Is that the genesis of the Picard maneuver? Part of it, yeah. Uh, the Picard maneuver, as I'm sure you all know, is that every time Picard gets up, he takes his... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, his tunic roundabout belly button level. He grabs a bit of cloth on either side and gives it a sharp tug downward. These people, to, these people know to what's straighten up. Straighten the shirt. These people know what's up. Everyone knows the Picard maneuver. Yeah, less well known, but even more uh, interesting is, would be the Riker maneuver, in which Riker, whenever he sits at a chair, instead of just sitting in the chair, he swings his leg over the back of the chair. Oh yeah, and sits down. I thought you were talking about the one leg up on the console. So can, that's his that's captain. His, that's Captain Morgan. That's his Captain Morgan. Yeah. But uh, the Riker maneuver is like whenever he's going to take a seat, like he'll walk up to the seat from behind it and he'll just swing a leg over top of the back of the seat and drop down into it. Right. And there's actually a reason, an actual real world reason why he's doing this. Oh, and really? it has to do with the camera angles and stuff. It's to maximize his face time. <laughs> he doesn't have to turn away from the camera or look anywhere else. I can't remember. Is Jonathan Frakes like a veteran of soap operas? You know, I don't know. I know um, that he plays played Captain America at comic conventions. Did he? Oh yeah, we looked this up one time. Yeah. I, had, I have no recollection. He of totally that. did in his, in his younger days, obviously. Yeah. Ha-ha. I'm trying to think are there any other signature moves for other members of the crew. The other one that the Data really has a signature move, which I don't know if it's ever been coined, the term's been coined for it, but especially in later seasons, he really rocks the arm waving. Like when he walks, he has like kind of long arms and he kind of walks without moving them. So he's without like he has no arm. Yeah, like he yeah. doesn't wave his arms as he walks. So they kind of swing at his side very ape-like. Huh. I've anyway. never noticed that. Check it out. I will. I would say uh, Jordy's signature move has to be the, the blind grab. <laughs> the every, visor reach? It's weird because... Yeah, the search for the visor. Every time Jordy loses his visor, all of a sudden, it's like LeVar Burton forgot how to act and slips into yeah, ultra-stereotype. Head back like he's looking at the sky, arms stretched out full length in front of him, and just waggling around, yeah. trying to bump into things.
things. Yeah, that's a weird one. Nothing's coming to mind for any of the others for me. Just all that time that Worf spends like combing his hair <laughs> when it gets longer. That's usually off camera though. Anything else you want to cover? I'm trying to think. It's feeling like a short episode today. That's all right. You could say ever we covered a lot of ground in very little time. We maximized our warp efficiency. Yeah. Thanks, Chris Catan. Thanks, Chris Catan. It's a sentence no one ever says. <laughs> I'm looking forward to season two, which will see the introduction of Ten Forward. Oh, yeah. I'm missing Ten Forward in season one. Mm-hmm. I like the inclusion of Ten Forward. I... Well, then that guy wouldn't have had to go sit solo in that room. Yeah, yeah exactly. He could have gone he somewhere been else. Ten Forward, making an ass of himself in front of everybody. Well, I mean, everyone else would have been trapped in their own private fantasies at that Possibly. Particular not everybody, though. Like Maybe not, yeah. You know, like when Picard's walking down those halls and those two people run past him, he doesn't see their fantasy. Like, I guess no one else, yeah, they, they can't see each other's fantasies. Exactly. That's Right, but then why, why was Picard able to see that wall of flames that that guy had created? Well, maybe it's, uh, this was much later in the episode, so maybe it, the effects were getting stronger. Okay, I'll say that. That's and, final answer. So then, when Picard told everyone, "Concentrating your thoughts and don't think of anything dangerous," yeah, that's why the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man didn't appear immediately. It is upsetting that Stay Puft didn't show. Maybe he was just out there in space. He never <laughs> quite got to the ship. <laughs> yeah, I think we should call it there. All right, everybody, thank you for joining us for Diecast Enterprise. This is Pags. This is Foley. And we will see you next time. Mm-hmm.